You're listening to Casual Talk Radio, where common sense is still the norm. Whether you're a new or a longtime listener, we appreciate you joining us today. Visit us at casualtalkradio.net. And now, here's your host, Leister. Welcome back to the show, everybody. My name is Leister. I'm your host here at casualtalkradio.net. We have a couple of personal updates. First, hopefully you had a good Thanksgiving holiday. Whether you celebrated the official holiday or not, or you just were able to get time off the work, right? I, either way, hopefully you had a good holiday. Break, I didn't. Not due to any fault of anything, but there's a lot going on, as seems like always is the case. Ever since technology started to rise in society, it seems like everything's slower. It's harder to get stuff done. I'm still, I still haven't got my steamer service because they, they fought it. They pushed back. I did a BBB complaint. They pushed back. So I've escalated it to the consumer affairs out in New Jersey because I just need them to do the scheduling. I'm not going to chase them down. They don't have a form. They're one of the few services I've ever found that doesn't have a form to be able to request the service. I've never seen that before. So they're like, yeah, just call them and I'm not going to sit on the phone because I work during the day. I don't have the time. So I want to just fill out a form. It goes to some queue, some Worker named Joe picks it out of the queue and then gets it booked. That's what I want. So I've escalated that one. Meanwhile, I don't have my steamer, and that's really important because that's how I take care of my uh, dress clothes. So, uh, and it was expensive. That thing was expensive. I think I spent like 800 bucks on the damn thing. So I was not happy that this all happened. So that's out there. I'm chasing that down. Second is I want to get a certain service done on my primary car. And it started snowing out here. So that makes it even worse. And it's cold. It's really cold. So I can't get the service done because they, they're booked out. I can't get it done. So I've escalated that one and I may have to go to consumer affairs on that one. And I thought about buying another car, but the cars today suck. I don't know if anybody's noticed that, but the cars today are garbage. They're getting rid of CD players. The interiors look like garbage. They're not doing bucket seats anymore uh, or bench seats rather. They're not doing that anymore. And everything is a screen. I don't want a screen. I like buttons and tactile sensation. So it's, you know, and then just, I like hybrids. I'm not about an EV. I'm not about to get stranded. And out here, it's even worse because they don't have, they have charging things like the uh, local supermarket has a free charger, but everybody uses it because there's not that many around there. So it gets used up all the place and then you have to pay for it, but you have to pay for it with a, with a, you have to do an app on a phone and add a card. No, I want to just give them cash and pay the thing like I do gas, so, you know, or charge it at home. I don't have a charger here in my place. so. That pisses me off is my car is perfectly fine. It's actually in, it's actually high value for what it is. Same as the second car. So that's a thing that's out there. The last is what's going on. And I'll be talking about at some point on a future episode, maybe, but I'm building up the brand. So the radio station's up and running. Uh, feel free to check that out. If you're on X, it's at cool tunes radio. If you want to check that out there, we are building out a site for it and the whole nine. I just haven't finished it because it's a lot of work, the domain, the code, everything. Once it's up, we're good. And then I'll be doing a, uh, some kind of a giveaway. And then on the painting side, I didn't realize that odorless thinner was such a scam. Like it's a scam. I, you know, when you do get it, it's the tiniest little container. So like one container is pretty much good for one painting session. And even then it got really bad and murky and I, I wasn't, happy with what I got. So I've got, I'm trying to find a large size container, you know, that'll go maybe five or six sessions. And that's harder than I think it should be. I've got the paint. I've got the easel. I've got the, 
I've got the uh, canvases. I've got the, I've got everything else. It's the paint thinner. So I did my one painting and it came from a dream that I had when I was a kid. And it's actually pretty dang good. It turned out different than what I planned, but it turned out pretty decent good. Consider it was my first painting since like the 80s, you know, or 90s. So I, I'm proud of it, but I want to do more. I just, the paint thinners are pain. So I got to figure all that out. I figured for today's episode, it was about that time that I got back into a good old, a, a book, you know, recommend a book that I stumbled across and kind of a, by accident, really. So the subject of the book is Joe Tex. Joe Tex was a musician. He died a while back. He's from the old school. He was around at the prime of James Brown, just to give you a sense of how long the guy was in the business. And not much was known about Joe Tex. I didn't hear about him until I watched the Jackson's miniseries, the one that had, uh, you know, the Jackson five and their, when they were kids and getting beat by Joe. And, you know, if you haven't had a chance to check that out, I do recommend it. I'm pretty sure it's out there on YouTube somewhere, but there's a scene where they're teaching. He's teaching Joe. Papa Joe is teaching the kids how to work the mic while they're singing. And, you know, apparently this came from Joe Tex. I didn't know this initially, but the stunt is you basically push the mic out and, and grab it real quick. And the way it would work in the, in the miniseries is Michael did it quick. He did it really quick, push the mic out and grab it back with the, with the cable. And so the other ones were trying to do it. Michael was able to, the only one able to do it. Joe would basically say, that's not the way Joey Tex does it. And I didn't know what he was talking about because he said it so dang fast, but he was talking about Joe Tex. So Joe Tex, when you get to watch some of his lives, he does this thing where he's able to manipulate because, you know, it's a round base on the microphone stand and he's able to manipulate the microphone stand to where it looks like it's moving on its own and he's hands off the thing. He's still singing, but the microphone, because he's doing it with his feet and he's keeping it from falling and he's just so precise with it. It's like, okay, that's pretty dang cool. So this is the first time I had learned, okay, Joe Tex and learn us about, but I also was listening to one of the throwback stations on the radio when I was driving somewhere and a song came on that I thought was classic. And I don't, I doubt he's listening to this right now, but childhood friend of mine named John, he would have, he would often joke about this. Now, mind you, we're kids. So don't, if you, if you know who I'm talking about, don't get on his case. We're kids. Okay. You got to let it go. But he would, he had this thing about fat girls and it just wasn't his thing. You know, it just wasn't. So he would say certain things about fat girls at the time. Again, we're kids. So don't jump down his throat. He's, we're kids, literally kids in his case. But the song is called, I ain't going to bump no more with a big fat, with no big fat woman. Classic song, disco era song. I was uh, loved it. Loved the lyrics, loved the beat, loved everything about it. Decided to dig a little bit digger, uh, deeper. And I did notice there was some striking similarities between Joe Tex and James Brown, which caused me to get a little bit more curious. And I stumbled across a book for him. I didn't, I hadn't realized that he had died so young. He died at a really young age, but I stumbled across a book for him. The Joe it's called hold what you got the Joe Tex story by Jason Martinko. And I wanted to talk about a segment in the book specific, one specific segment I thought was intriguing because when this whole feud was being talked about in certain circles, there were different levels of the story. And then one stood out that I found really intriguing. So to give you 
this kind of six degrees of separation intrigue that I've got about James Brown. James Brown, he had dated Tammy Terrell. And it was noted that James Brown was abusive to Tammy Terrell. This is before, I'm pretty sure, Tammy ended up with David Ruffin, who also was abusive with Tammy. And then Tammy eventually leaves David, partners up with Marvin Gaye. And I argue that was some of the best music in the best times is when the two of them got together was uh, Tammy and Martin. And between all of these different artists together, it was just an intriguing time. Then there was a segment where they're performing live and Tammy collapses because Tammy had had a, a cancer. She had had a tumor and they couldn't, they couldn't cure it. So she was really ill at points. She couldn't even walk. And she had just, she had gone through so much in her life and in her career, considering she was very talented, considering she was just beautiful of a, of a girl and a person. And then to see that story of just, you know, between James and David and, you know, Marvin Gaye was, was not abusive. As far as we know, it was not abusive. He adored her as a, as a friend. But my point is, is that seeing this degrees of separation between all these different artists at the time that I had listened to kind of growing up, and then Joe Tex comes in, and Joe Tex is now connected to James Brown. So now I'm peaked, right? I want to read this story about what happened here. So, again, this was well-known in the music space around this alleged feud between Joe Tex and James Brown because of the similarities of style. If you listen to Joe Tex's music, you can clearly hear James Brown in some parts of it. I don't think he was intentionally doing that, but apparently he might have been. But let me read this part here to you that stood out. The widely publicized rivalry between Joe Tex and James Brown came to a head around this time. So this is in the 60s. Joe's wife, Johnny May, I'm, a, I'm not going to talk on that this episode about that, but I, I have a story about that later. Remembers the two singers having real animosity towards one another, and she was present during a confrontation that took place in a backstage dressing room. She says she knew nothing about the events that happened the night of the James Brown, quote, homecoming show at the City Auditorium in Brown's adopted hometown of Macon, Georgia in 1963. Joe, as in Joe Tex, was also on the bill and, also, and saw it as a chance to steal the show. Brown had a famous routine, and everybody knows this, by the way, where he would fall to his knees wearing a regal cape at a dramatic moment of a song. During his part of the show, Joe, as in Joe Tex, wrapped himself in a raggedy blanket with holes in it. He fell to his knees, grabbed his back, and then tangled himself up in the blanket singing, quote, please, please, please get me out of this cave. Joe told Peter Grolnick, a more innocent version of the story, saying, quote, I said, no, I can't sing it because the man that made the records on the show tonight, they said, you sing it, you sing it. We want to hear you sing it. So I went ahead and did a little bit of it. And by the way, I was working with his band. See, he had told the cats in front of me, back to man of good. Don't rush the man. Play good for him. And then he got behind the curtain somewhere and told them something different. So they tried. They didn't want to do it. They wanted to play right for me. But they were working for James Brown, and they knew how he was. He brought in about 10 suits that night, and every 10 or 15 minutes, he'd leave the stage and change clothes. Then he'd come back on. The band would still be working, and the flames would still be harmonizing, and he'd be back there changing. The fans ate up the joke, but when James Brown heard about it later that night, he was furious. Joe was at an after-hours nightclub called Club 15 following his own performance, watching Otis Redding and the Pine Toppers on stage. James Brown and his entourage arrived at the club in Brown's tour bus 
looking for Joe and brandishing shotguns. A gunfight took place inside the club, and allegedly seven people were hit by buckshots from Brown's shotguns. The musicians left off the stage except for drummer Charles Davis, who continued playing through the noise, unaware of what was happening, because he's a drummer, right? Eventually, he hid in the closet. Otis hid in the crowd, while pianist Johnny Jenkins hid in the men's room. The saxophonist broke his sax, tossing it in the air as he dashed for cover. Beside the stage were a few draped windows, which someone tried to jump through headfirst, but the windows were boarded up, so he knocked himself out. Joe Tex escaped out of a back door and was running through a patch of trees and bushes in the darkness as Brown made his getaway in his tour bus. Johnny Jenkins says, quote, seven people got shot. They were reloading, come back in, hiding behind pianos, the bar. All us had to get behind the piano. They went around later, a guy went around later, and I think he gave each one of the injured $100 a piece not to carry it no further and not to talk to the press. And that just quieted it down. Alan Walden remembers, quote, my brother Phil Walden and Atlantic Records national promotion man Joe Galkin were there, and it was an outrageous night. The story I hear had James and the Flames fired away while doing a step here and there. A road manager was outside passing out funds to the wounded to cover their hospital bills. Marcus Anthony says, quote, the club 15 in question belonged to my late step-grandfather, W.E. Brown, a very well-known name at that time. While growing up as a youth, he always recounted the story and also mentioned to us how James Brown also used the Thompson machine gun, a.k.a. a Tommy gun, and killed a few of my grandfather's hogs that were located on the property in a hog pen. The incident wasn't publicized until recently, when musicians Johnny Jenkins and Charles Davis talked about it. Years later, both Joe and James would refer to one another respectfully in their songs. In Brown's autobiography, James Brown, The Godfather of Soul, that was published in 1986, he writes that his conflict with Joe Tex was purely comical. He says that they played up the rivalry over the years, making remarks to newspapers or Jet Magazine. Brown recalls that Joe was touring the country with Soul Brother Number 1, painted on the side of the bus, and how he put a stop to that the next time he saw him. He insists that their joking was all in good fun, but recalls the time Joe stopped the show at the Uptown of Philadelphia and told the audience that Brown was paying radio stations not to play his song, Skinny Legs and All. It's a Joe Tex song. After Brown heard what Joe said, he stopped during a performance and told the audience that Joe Tex was his friend and he thought the world of him, then ordered his radio stations to play all of Joe's songs. Stop. This is a very interesting story for a couple of reasons. First of all, the idea that the feud, as it was, was a comical thing and it was just a joke and they're playing it up, I don't know that I buy that. Because during that time, various musicians did their own interviews or shoots, as it's called, and they were talking about true animosity between the two. It wasn't just Johnny May. There was a number of musicians at the time that knew that James Brown simply did not like this dude, Joe Tex, because, again, the similarity was pretty clear, and Joe Tex was kind of fueling the flames at points. He was doing things to make it seem like he was that guy during a time when they were, they were I don't want to say competitive, but they were certainly performing in similar venues. That said, and this book is actually really good. I do recommend it. Again, it's Hold What You Got, the Joe Tex story. It actually has photos throughout the book, really good photos, throwback time. There's a photo of the whole segment of him with the raggedy Kate. There's photos of him backstage talking to James Brown, and you'll see it's prime James Brown. Like, he's really young. So I don't know that I buy the idea that they were all buddy-buddy. I think what really happened is that James Brown was a businessman. And he knew how to separate business from the personal side of things until he got pushed over the line. 
The reason I say that is because of what happened, of course, with Tammy Terrell and many others that we heard over the years where James Brown just had a temper and he wasn't taking nothing from anybody. So I do think that there was something legit between the two of them. But when business came to business and we needed to sit down and make this happen for the fans, I think James Brown knew how to turn it on and show up. Joe Tex was another one of those people. So I was, I was intrigued by the story. Again, I do highly recommend it if you do get a chance to check it out, but intrigued by his story, having never heard about him prior to that one line in a Jackson's movie, completely unrelated, but six degrees of separation, right? In a future, I may talk about another artist that I had recently heard about, and I'd heard his song. I didn't know that it was him that did the song. I, I had no idea who actually did the song. I actually thought it was a, a female. And turns out, not only was it not a female, it was a male, a black male, a young black male that put out one of the more memorable songs, I think, at the time, Fever. And I'm at some point in the future, I'm going to try to see if I can track down his book. That's hard to find because there's, there's not very many photos about him. There's not very much, but I'm going to try to find something. And if I can track that down, I'm going to do another episode where I talk about his story because that one, when I learned he did that song, I'm like, okay, that's talent. And this guy died so dang young. Another one I want to talk about, and this one I'm sure I can find content, and I just have to dig for it. Ephraim Lewis. I definitely want to do something on Ephraim Lewis. You're probably like, who is that? I think if I were to sing part of his song, which I'm not going to do, but I think if I did, you would have said you've heard it at least one, especially if you listen to any smooth jazz station for any period of time. They've played his songs on a pretty frequent basis uh, on rotation. And he died way too young. Uh, another one, PM Dawn. I'd like to talk about their story. That, that one's an intriguing story. There's a lot. There's a lot of these, there's a lot of these lesser known artists that are really popular for what the music, you know, brought at the time. And perhaps people during that era knew who they were, but I'm not sure that they were remembered sufficiently in my personal opinion. Anyway, I think it's worth having that talk. I don't know where I'm going to fit it in. Cause obviously I got to work it with the episode schedule. I will tr try to figure it out. And I commit to talking about more of these because I do think some of these episodes are popular with some of the listeners. Thank you for listening at least this long. If it wasn't interesting, do let us know at casualtalkradio.net. We do read that feedback. Contact forms at the top. 